everybody, and welcome to the show. Uh, first off, wanted to say sorry that there wasn't a show last week. It was primary week, and everybody, as you can imagine, in politics was busy. And then the end of the week happened, and I thought, well, we'll just take a week off. So, uh, this is the first show since the primaries have happened, and today I am joined by Miss Linda Voy. Hi, Kim. Hi. Thanks for being here. Um, so, basically... I know, like, a little bit of your history. Like, I know that you were born in Canada. Correct. And I know that you were the um, commissioner of political practices at one point. I was. And but that's a, and I know that you're on the redistricting board. I am. And I know you're a friend of my mom's, who's also a big Republican. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it for what I know. So where do you want to start with? Talking about how you got started in politics. Well, let's start with, okay, you were born in Canada. When did you immigrate? In, um, I became a citizen in 1976. I've been in Montana and the U.S. since 1971. Came down um, uh, to follow the love of my life and got married and stayed here. I've, I've uh, gosh, it's a lot of years now. Um, became a citizen and, and became a Montanan, and um, it's, uh, it's, not a right, it's a privilege and one that I deeply respect and am grateful for. That's awesome. Um, I actually have a lot of friends that have immigrated to the U.S. and I, I always kind of wonder what, what makes it uh, a, a choice that you do. You know. Well, coming here, of course, was, was motivated by um, a marriage proposal, but becoming a citizen was, was um, a desire on my part to... Um, I guess pay back this country for its generosity and in, in um, accepting my application and and um, you've got to remember that um, Canadian politics are um, not exactly um, riveting. <laughs> Unless you're the mayor of Toronto, right? That's now. right. That's true. <laughs> Um, but 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 politics in the U.S. Um, um, was inherently um, exciting and interesting, and um, I always had a strong feeling of personal responsibility, um, and that's why the the uh, the part my party of choice is is the Republican Party. Um, but this state has offered me a great number of opportunities. Um, I was a uh, we were place bound in in Haver due to the business we were in. Fortunately for me, Montana um, uh, has um, six call unit, uh, six units in the in the uh, university system, and I was fortunate enough to be able to avail myself of um, programs and um, some really darn good professors at Northern Montana College, which I, um, I pursued a degree while raising my children. And from there, it was a, a leap to um, uh, education um, via the school board. And um, I was elected three or four times and served as a state chairman of the Montana School Board Association. And that that got me really um, deeply involved in education policy. And um, then from there, um, moved into um, tax issues, was 
appointed by Governor Mark Roscoe to the State Tax Appeal Board and subsequently became Montana's Commissioner of Political Practices, um, again under um, Governor Roscoe. I served from, in that capacity from um, January of 1999 through December of 2004. And so I, I, I really have had a number of, of um, really meaningful opportunities and, and I'd hope in some small way that I've been able to um, um, I guess pay back this country um, through public service, um, something that I treasure very much, and, and that's my citizenship. That's very cool. Um, it's impressive all of the things that you've done. I think about um, you know all the people that I know that have been on the school board and I never do anything else because they, they dealt with being on the school board and, and don't want to. <laughs> and then you went on... What was it like being the Commissioner of Political Practices? Because that's got to be the most thankless public servant position in the world. Because it's in, And you'll obviously have a better handle on this, but the perception is it has no power, it has no real authority, and it's kind of an uh, intrusive yet wasteful office. You know, it shouldn't be, but it seems to be that way. I, I, would, um, I would counter that, Kevin, by saying that... Um, the, the responsibility, the main responsibility of the office is to make sure that candidates and lobbyists are in compliance with the law. And um, I think most, most of the time um, one finds that, that people really do want to do the right thing and they only need to be gently reminded um, when infractions occur, um, which, which they in turn um, rectify to the best of their ability. Obviously the ones that you hear about are the ones that, that uh, make the front page of, of the paper. Um, we, we tried to be a little more collaborative in our efforts and, and uh, um, bring about resolution outside of the courts or outside of um, um, any legal action. And to a great extent, we were, we were successful in doing that. Um, Unfortunately, I think the office is used sometimes by candidates for political gain, and I think that's that that's truly unfortunate. Um, I think the office ought to have um, um, a, a little more power, a little more authority, and um, I think we need to tighten up on some regulations. But um, I certainly don't think that it's um, that's a, a, a wasteful exercise at all. Uh, well, I, maybe I wasn't clear. I think it's it's in its current incarnation, it's it's not as effective as it could be, and so it's seen as a waste. Not necessarily that it's wasteful, but that it's uh, it's not a waste of time. It's just it's not a productive use of it right now because of the way it's laid out. There's, I I look at the Office of Political Practices and I think, well, you know, I don't know how you could make it an elected position, but it really does need to have more autonomy and the ability to go out and and make some change. You know, we've had some. You know, especially with the primaries that, that just passed, we had several campaigns that have, you know, been hoist on their own petard. <laughs> um, and, you know, whether it was malicious or whether it just happened, um, the office really didn't have a, an effective way to go and, and uh, make change. Now, could it have? I think it could. Um, but it, it doesn't the way it's being run right now. I, I think I think to well perhaps your latter comment is is um, is one that, that we ought, 
ought to ought to focus on, but um, I think I'll side sidestep it just simply by saying that um, my two predecessors, um, Dodie Kohlberg and Ed Argenbright, almost without w without notable exception, um, really did do their very best to be um, nonpartisan and um, and try to um, um, ensure that that candidates and and lobbyists adhered to the letter and the intent of the law and um, that's certainly what I what I attempted to do so it's interesting so a good friend of mine is Kelsey Young who was one of the first guests actually she was the first guest on the show and she's also from Haver and she was the one who told me that you were the political practices commissioner I was like for real and then I had to go ask mom and she's like yes where have you been <laughs> I'm like I just knew that she was on the redistricting council so you haven't you know you were done with that and then did you take a couple years off or actually I, I, I worked for the party for a year um in a, a political capacity, and um, then I truly did retire for um, for a couple of years. Um, opportunity came up to to serve on the redistricting commission, and um, and it's actually it's about redistricting, but it is really the districting and apportionment commission. And um, I accepted a nomination from um, Senate President Jim Peterson, um, and we've been at the job now for about three years. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's coming to its conclusion later this year, but um, it, it really has been a, um, a, a wonderful education and, um, and certainly a, um, an opportunity that I've, that I've treasured in getting to know particularly our chairman um, somewhat better. Um, Jim Regnier is, is a former Supreme Court justice, and um, um, he's he's doing a a marvelous job herding cats, which um, <laughs> which is the uh, the current um, political climate. <laughs> well, it's 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 the, um, the 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 designation I'm applying to uh, the other four members, myself included, um, and I, I I really do believe that um, that we're moving towards creating a map that, that looks like Montana and um, Montana and, and that will be reflective um, of, uh, of, of some really good comments and input that we've been receiving. So redistricting Montana is interesting. From what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong by all means, is that we have, the goal is to keep the population equal, the, the demographics of the population as equal as possible. Plus, we have to respect the boundaries of the tribal lands. And I, there's like four other major things that I, I can't even keep them all in my head. And I'm thinking, I don't, you can't draw that map. <laughs> Computers can't even draw that map because it requires five dimensions. <laughs> well, the, the um, certainly drawing maps um, in 2012 is, is a whole lot easier than, than it was in... 1992, um, because the the software capabilities um, are are truly amazing, and um, and and so we are we're well on our way. Um, um, perhaps not with a, a final rendition, but um, we've had some maps out there for public comment. Not maps as a whole for public comment, but rather um, um, to illustrate 
to the public what can be accomplished. And so what, what one person might like on one map, um, uh, they might like another region that's, that's depicted on another map. And they were really just starting points to, um, to give people ideas about what, they, what, what, what could be done, what, um, uh, what, a, what, what changes in boundaries um, would mean. And, and yes, equal population, um, uh, give or take plus or minus 3%, is, is the goal. And that's the criteria that that one one criteria criterion that we're using to judge maps, um, and and then another is is compact um, compactness and contiguity and 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 that's simply um, anti gerrymandering. <laughs> well, you can. Um, uh, <laughs> Trying to keep it from having seven hundred four sides and five legs. <laughs> Yes, and, and, and of course, you have to also take into consideration geographic um, uh, constraints as well. So, so what might look like um, a nice, neat square in Illinois, um, or, or better yet, Iowa, um, can't be accomplished everywhere in Montana because we have things like rivers and mountains and, and those sorts of things that, that kind of get in the way. So, um, so, so we, we, we tend to butt up against um, a mountain and, um, and have to stretch it around a river, and, and pretty soon you have a, um, a district that, that no longer is square, but um, um, rather might look like a, a rattlesnake. Um, and, and so those, those things all have, to be, all have to be considered, but certainly the compactness of, of, a, of a district is important and, um, um, and, and that's just one measure that we would use to, to gauge whether or not it was acceptable or not. Wow. Um, I can't even imagine being, going through the process seems stressful enough as it is and then if you were in a state like Texas or any of the secessionist states from the, the Civil War, then you'd have to take it before the Department of Justice and get it approved and defend everything that you've done after defending it in front of your state. That'd just be madness. Madness. Well, well, certainly um, uh, the the public has a has has recourse um, if if, for example, um, um, federal election laws were were violated through some mismanagement of, of our drawing of some maps, um, federal voting rights um, that you mentioned in terms of um, our Native American districts. Um, uh, the public would have recourse to, to challenge um, a map or a district in, in, in federal court. Um, and obviously, we will do our best to comply with the um, federal laws as, as we're about this process. Right. So this has been going on for three years, and when does it have to be in place? Well, this, this August, um, we have a week set aside for the commission to meet and, um, and actually approve, um, hopefully approve a map, and, and it, will, it will take... Uh, some discussion, some um, some compromise, I'm sure. Um, and if we can't come up with 
a final product. Um, we do have a couple of extra days set aside in September to wrap up um, any, any details. So we'll be working um, long hours if necessary in, in August to, um, to have something on the, something um, that is agreeable to the majority of the five members. We will have um, then a, a subsequent meeting um, in November to uh, do Senate pairings. As you know, two legislative districts um, become one Senate become district. Become one Senate district. So no, I didn't know that. So Senate districts aren't drawn on their own? No. Oh, no, well, that's interesting. No, there's, they're, they're a um, combination of, of two legislative districts, so two House districts. Well, I guess that makes sense, but it seems... In some, it makes sense in one way, but in another way, it seems really odd. So we'll we'll end up, and that's and that's how um, uh, Dr. Dave Lewis and uh, about his uh, his Senate district, for example, um, it's um, very long um, because there were two House districts put together, and and going from east to west is uh, is a, probably about a day's travel. Um, but we will we'll, we'll do the Senate pairings, and then in um, December we'll have a final public meeting. And um, who knows? There 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 may be some some public comment at that point that that that, that causes a, a change in a line or two, or um, um, the final map that that is approved that day will be. Carried to the legislature on the tenth day of January. The tenth day. I'm sorry. Tenth day of the session in January, and the um, legislature will have thirty days to comment. Uh, we'll meet once again and um, make our final decision, and then it will go to the Secretary of State's office, and we will disband. Okay. So it goes to the legislature for comment, but they don't get to vote on it. No. Huh. Well, I, I suppose they can vote They can on vote it. on it, but they don't have, like, veto power. That's exactly right. And neither does the governor. No. Nor, <sighs> does, nor does the Secretary of State. Well, we wouldn't expect them to, but the others tend to jump up and think they have powers they don't have. Um, so that's really cool. That's, a, that's an interesting process. And so you started before we had the census from 2010, and then you had to apply the numbers from 2010. And all of these people that are out running elections in the various districts... Um, we'll find out if they're still in the same district in the middle of the session. They will. Fun. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. Another part of Montana Civics that you've just learned on our lovely show. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me t interject here. One, one of the, um, I think probably one of the most enjoyable elements of this process has been um, getting to hear um, from from grassroots how um, how important this this is to some people and um, and also ideas that um, that we've garnered along the way the first round of hearings had to do with the criteria that we were adopting to judge the to judge the maps and um, and and that was extraordinarily interesting um, and I'm, I'm I'm glad that we I'm glad that we had those hearings. Um, uh, prior commissions have not done that in terms of getting comment on the criteria. We found it um, uh, interesting and productive 
and it it really shaped the way we um, the way we finalize the criteria by which we'll we'll judge the maps. The second round of hearings were, of course, um, to garner comments on the four maps that were produced at our direction by Legislative Services, and a fifth map that was um, proffered by the Democrat Party through their two commission members, um, Joe Lampson and, and Pat Smith. Um, and I found they, there, there wasn't a hearing that I attended, um, nor a transcript that I read, that I didn't pick up um, um, at least one new idea, and, and very often more than that, um, things that, um, that I personally had not thought of, um, things that were important to individuals out there, um, the people who have to live in these districts who, who um, uh, wouldn't feel, for instance, that a, a particular area um, that, that they lived in had anything compatible or common interest with another area that had been joined in that district. So, oh, we could have told you that years ago. East Helena has nothing to do with Helena. Uh, <laughs> or, or in Helena, the, the, the valley in, in, in terms of uh, uh, commonality, um, the valley with um, the South Hills. So um, the, some, sometimes those things are apparent, but, but sometimes they aren't apparent to um, particularly a, a person who doesn't live in that locale. So I found the, the public comment por portion um, really, really valuable. Oh, that's cool. And, and you were the first commission to have public hearings talking about criteria? Yes. They, um, the, uh, the prior commissions have, um, have had public hearings on, on, uh, um, on maps, um, um, on, on proposals for various regions. But um, actually, the, the, the meetings on the criteria came about because, um, primarily because of Senator Jeff Essman from Billings, who came to the commission and asked if we would consider doing that. Um, and, and the majority of the commissioners thought that that was, that was really well worth doing. And we did, and, and I'm really glad that we did that. Well, good on you. It, it's one of those things where it seems to me an obvious choice. You'd want to discuss everything. Because if you have it all out in the open and people haven't been involved in the process, that's their own problem. But if you have it all out in the open and they get a chance to be in the process, you have far better chance of being successful. Well, and it had the additional um, additional benefit, I think, of alerting people to the fact that districting, redistricting was, was going to happen, and this was the first step. And so when the second step came along, that, that most important step of gathering comments on, um, on, on preferences for actual maps um, or, or maps of regions, um, there, there was just so much more awareness that there, you know, than there would have been otherwise. So, uh, it's going well, I take it? Oh, it's, yes, it's going very well. And have there been any, um, other than, you know, the pleasant surprises, have there been any of the unpleasant surprises everyone expects from something as contentious as redistricting? Because it is, what, once every, once every decade we do it. Once every decade, um, and, um, um, so far, we're we're exchanging um, 
comments that, that are, um, well, let me put it this way. All five of us are still talking. Um, <laughs> we haven't had any, any major disputes. And you're not the Public Service Commission is what you're telling me. <laughs> that may change in, in August, but, but, um, uh, but, but, but so far, so good. Will a Brad Molnar get you a hat? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. So, um, what you you obviously have a, a strong drive to be a part of uh, public service, and you you have a, a huge love for your adopted country. Um, I think the country actually shares it for you. Um, and but what is it that about politics in general that just made you want to be involved? I was thinking the other day about the the, the very first time I was involved, and. Um, and I didn't think that it was it was so terribly unusual um, because it it it's I'd like to say it's in my genes, but it's not even in my genes. But it's got to be in my DNA. Um, I I did literature drops for um, for a candidate in Calgary, Alberta, uh, who was running um, uh, for parliament and. He asked me to work on his campaign, and I thought he was a really smart guy who thought outside the box and um, and would represent us well. And I went to work for him as a volunteer. Um, never had been been politically um, uh, that interested, but he lit a spark, and um, gosh, I. I been involved at some level ever since. <laughs> and now you're, and when was this? Do you want to say? <laughs> oh, I don't want to say. <laughs> well, obviously before 1971, before I moved to this country. And then even to the state, so now you're a member of the uh, Lewis and Clark County Republicans, obviously part of the GOP. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a precinct person. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you're a precinct person as I well? I am. And then uh, you're also active in the Republican Women's the Pachyderms group, is that correct? Um, I, I go to Pachyderm occasionally, but um, I am um, treasurer of, of uh, one of the two women's clubs. Oh, very cool. In this county. And so how do you do, you know, one of the things that they talk about in, in politics is always getting new people involved. What is it, how do you get new people involved? Or, or do you have something to do with that? It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's probably easier today getting people involved than... Um, and, and it's not just my generation, but uh, we see a whole, a whole bunch of really excited, um, involved, committed, younger people, and um, um, and and that's and, and that's exciting. That's um, um, it, it gives those of us who have gray in our hair um, some some semblance of hope for the future. That um, that there still will be an active uh, constituency of people looking out for um, for for freedom and, and our government because um, the one sure thing that we've seen in history is um, uh, passivity is is probably one of the worst enemies of democracy and so we do have to be active and and um, it, it's exciting for me to see the the youngsters come along and, <laughs> and, and, and be involved and, and want to make a difference. So cool. So what were you doing? You were on the commission, obviously, last session. How was that? 
during the legislative session? Did you have much to do with the legislators, or were you insulated from it, or? Uh, pretty, pretty insulated because we. Um, it is a, it is a, a commission that, um, that was, designed to be independent, of the legislature. So, um, uh, no, there's there's not much much, interaction at all. Well, that's good. One one thing I will say though, you know, my my political involvement was um, for the for the nine years that I worked for state government first three at state tax bill board and and the other six as as commissioner um, I was removed from the political arena um, by by necessity because of the um, two jobs that I was doing um, and um, and and that for me was was a very difficult thing because um, um, I had to I had to step back and 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 not be involved in um, in any political arena at all. Um, that was that was a, um, a, a a different way to live, particularly someone as I had been um, uh, fairly fairly active. Although I will say during my time in education, I was probably more um, more involved in lobbying for education than I was really being a, a partisan politician. Mm. Well, it, it's, it's interesting. I, mean, I know when I was talking to um, Dennis Taylor on the show about what it's like in, in those roles that really are nonpartisan, the, the civic roles where you have to, you know, it's, it's not a matter of what you're, what you're feeling, it's the matter of who's the elected official that you have to follow. Um, I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> I, I look at my personality traits and I just go, eh, probably not my skill set. <laughs> so I, th I think you, I think you probably could, though, Kevin, because the the fact of the matter is that um, um, in in any situation, whether it, it has to, whether it has to do with um, um, a, a ruling that's been made in a in a tax case by the Department of Revenue um, against a. Um, a, a company or or um, an individual, or if it's um, a complaint that's been brought to to uh, the commissioner's desk by um, a, a candidate complaining about another candidate, or um, um, or a, a, a lobbyist or an ethics violation charged against a public employee, one gathers the facts, one reads the law. And one applies the law to the facts, and that's not to say that it's always easy. It's not to say that laws are always interpreted the same way. But um, um, by and large, it's it's often clear on on its face whether or not there's there's been a violation or not. Um, and and just because of the ethical responsibility of the job, um, one just has to set aside, and one does set aside, the, um, the, 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 the personal um, thoughts that one might have about an individual or a situation mm. and apply the law. And I, I, I did have a, a one, one complaint that was filed against um, the Republican Party in Hill County. And as a matter of fact, the young woman um, who was responsible for the subsequent violation that I found 
uh, was a house guest with me just this past weekend. Uh, <laughs> so your friendship survived this. Friendship, friendship survived it. She, she, she made a mistake, and um, uh, she didn't realize that she was making a mistake, but the fact is she was involved in, in a political campaign and involved in um, the financial um, dealings of, of a, a political party, in this case, Republican Party of Hill County. Um, and when you are undertaking that kind of activity, ignorance is not an excuse for a violation of the law. And, um, and so the, the, the party was, um, was fined. Um, my recollection is um, it was a, a fairly significant amount given um, it was a small town central committee. Um, everyone learned a lesson. Um, everyone, uh, I, I think, had a, had a better respect for the fact that, that when you are involved in political activity, um, it behooves you to be cognizant and aware of, um, of the finance and campaign laws that, that surround that activity. So. Yeah, and, and you know, I joke about I would be able to make those decisions with other people in charge, but I think my innate, my innate sense of fairness would allow me to do most of that because I look at, you know, it's the whole, I don't care that you've made a mistake. I mean, I care to an extent that I have to do something about it, but I don't care to, I, you know, it's not going to cause me to judge you as a person, as a bad person. If you don't own up to the mistake, that will. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, making the mistake is never the problem. It's trying to cover it up that is. So. That's true. <laughs> and, and, and we see, we see that. Um, um, time and time again. Time and time again. Particularly uh, well-publicized um, national situation. <laughs> yeah, there's a gap dress. And, um, <laughs> but as you say, that it, 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 didn't affect our, it didn't affect our friendship and... Um, um, and, and she was my guest this weekend, and we had a we had a wonderful time. It's it's um, um, that that element of respect though that you mentioned I think is important. Um, um, when I was chair of the of, of the school board, um, my very one of my very best friends in the whole world, and she remains so, um, was the president of the Haber Education Association. And um, and the two of us were were very pleased to um, uh, to tout the fact that um, we went into this into these roles as friends, and we concluded our year as friends, um, and and are to this day. Um, and I think that's because there was a um, was and still is a an innate respect for the roles that the that the other had to had to. Uh, um, perform. And I hope that we have more of that in this next session. I have an idea. I'll run it past you a little later on. Um, so speaking of things that are coming up, we are literally hours from the beginning of the GOP convention in Missoula. And I understand you are going. I am. And as a precinct person, that makes sense. <laughs> so um, primaries obviously are over. Were there any surprises in the primaries for you? There were there there were some some surprises in in, in a few <coughs> legislative me. races. Um, um, I, I think the Secretary of State's race on the Republican side was a surprise. 
Uh, I I can't say anything for many many reasons, but wow, that has to be the understatement of the new millennium. <laughs> that was that that was one of the biggest surprises. Um, certainly, I, I um, uh, expected um, our our nominee would be Rick Hill, and um, um, that's what the polling showed. And and I was pleased to see that that was that was the outcome. I think he'll. He'll be a fine candidate and an even finer governor. Um, I can't think of any any any, any big surprises um, at that level. A, a couple in the legislative legislative arena, but um, but, but nothing other, other than the secretary of state's race. Nothing was really out of whack with what people were expecting. Mm, correct. Yeah, that's, that was kind of my take on it. And I hadn't seen a lot of polls that were strictly Republican. I had seen a lot of polls that were mixed on, you know, this is the people that we probably think are going to be there, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, the Secretary of State's race is the one that really, everybody everybody on both sides, I think, is looking at that going, wow, that's new. Well, I, I, it, it really was. I didn't I didn't see any, um, any campaign activity coming out of... Um, um, Brad's race, but um, there again, you know, perhaps he was, perhaps he was targeting ads in in particular areas that, that you know I know nothing about. It's possible. So um, let's see. This weekend is coming up. You're going to be in Missoula, and um, oh, one of the things I'm going to be doing there is, um, um, along with your mother, um, we will both have um, have votes for. Um, uh, the the can the the individuals who want to travel to Tampa um, to the national convention um, four years ago your mother and I um, were fortunate enough to be selected um, and and we went to Minneapolis together um, when Sarah Palin and John McCain were um, picked for for um, their respective leadership positions. Um, your mother remains a diehard Sarah Palin fan. Um, yes, there's some things we cannot question. And, <laughs> well, we questioned it many times. We just stopped asking her. <laughs> but I will say that was it, it was a, it, it was a it was a great experience. Um, and and that young woman um, surprised surprised us all with her her. Um, Ability to think on her feet, um, halfway. Well, it wasn't ha even halfway through. It was about a quarter of the way through her her speech in front of this um, national audience. Um, her um, teleprompter uh, teleprompter went down, and she had to ad lib for oh, probably I'd say a good five to seven minutes. Which oh, that's an eternity. Absolutely, and she did an, an astoundingly good job. Um, and it was only later that we found that the teleprompter had gone down, and, and uh, um, she was she was extremely well prepared. She was poised. She was she was funny. She was um, um, gracious. She spoke with conviction. And I kept saying to myself, and we were we were very close to the stage. Had had. Um, a wonderful viewing opportunity. Um, I, I was I was deeply impressed with with her with her ability right right off the right off the bat. It, it 
it it absolutely amazed me at, at her composure. Yeah, and well, hearing that story, it, it, it is amazing. I think one of the reasons that she be, she has become so so popular and and has kind of stayed part of the public race is because she does have this ability to. Um, answer a question. She may not always have the right answer and she may not always have the knowledge to answer a question. I think one of her biggest faults is the inability to say, I don't know. Um, for some reason, and this is, both parties have this problem. They don't accept that as an answer and sometimes that is the answer and get over it. Nobody has the wealth of human knowledge in their head. They just don't. And um, it, it was funny because I was actually reading an article uh, about two months ago and I didn't realize that it was written by her but I got to the end of it and I was like yeah this makes sense that I saw it was by her and I was like I have to go wash my eyes out with bleach <laughs> <laughs> but you know I don't think that she's stupid I think that you know a lot of times she was uninformed or misinformed and um, and when instead of saying I don't know when she was caught off guard with a question or she was caught in a question that she didn't know how to answer she didn't have a way to, to, to gracefully step out of it. So that was, it was the one area of her poise that, that I think her, her normal poise and grace under fire actually worked against her because everybody expected her to have those things that when she didn't, it became uh, a, a very big wound that, it, that should have just been a minor pinprick. Well, you know, I, so I, I think that in a lot of cases, she shot herself in, the own foot, in her own foot because she wasn't able to say, I don't know. And, you know, I'll find out. I'll get educated about this. These are important things. But they haven't been in my purview. I've been governor of Alaska, not vice president of the U.S. I, I think those are, I, I think that's a, a, a fair criticism. Um, unfortunately, um, the, the media was, um, and, and there is liberal media bias, present company accepted um, <laughs> oh I'm perfectly liberal there are many things I'm liberal about but I you know but but taking but taking after her with with such a vengeance um, and it was unremitting I, I think um, is is not fair was not fair um, unfortunately women candidates uh, seem to be subjected to that a lot more than particularly oh. conservative women. Oh, very much so. Um, well, women candidates in general. I think it, on the on the other side, if you step out of the party line, I think you're vilified just as hard. And in many ways, you're ostracized from the support group that would normally support you, so it becomes more devastating in certain ways than if you knew you were going into the battle to begin with, because then you pick up your shield and your sword. <laughs> it all goes back to the to the undeniable fact, Kevin, that um, unfortunately women have to be better at what they do. Well, I would hope they're better than men. Look at the mess we've created. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Einstein that says in order to get out of the mess you've created, you've got to have got to think different than the way you did getting into it. And I don't think that's quite what he said. Well, something like that. To paraphrase badly. <laughs> The same thinking that created the problem cannot solve it. That was what I said. All right. Oh, I um, thought you were thinking about the other the other quote about uh, everyone's a genius, but if you expect a fish to climb a tree, you're gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't the one I was thinking of. It was um, um, if you expect a different result, don't keep on doing the same thing. Oh, yeah, the definition of insanity. That's there you go. Um, so the Republican convention, we keep coming back to this because I'm kind of excited that you've got, it's a pretty big get for the Republican convention to get Newt Gingrich to come to Montana. 
Oh, sure. And and um, and, and he's and, speaking Saturday morning, yes? He is. And and Newt, if you're listening to the show, by all means, I'll drive over to Missoula and meet you if you want to be on it. <laughs> Um, well, just give your mother a, a, a microphone because she's going to be first in line. She has threatened to camp out. <laughs> and my mother doesn't camp. Her idea of camping involves a Best Western with a 24-hour bar. She's going. Well, she's going to take a pillow from from our room and go down and be first in line. Um, so that will require her camping out at least part of the night um, in order to get a really good seat. To listen to sounds it, that so Saturday sounds night. like my mother. Oh yes, <laughs> we have we we have a good time. Um, so you know, politics obviously is still very dear to your heart. You're still very active in everything that you do. What would you tell people that are looking to get started in politics, or that that think they should be involved in politics? Mm. Well, probably um, probably get involved with your local central committee first thing. Um, the uh, um, Meetings are are noticed publicly. Both um, both Democrats and and Republicans welcome um, new blood. Um, see what's see what's going on. See how you can help. And uh, who knows? It might might turn into uh, um, a, a burning desire to really make a difference and and become a candidate in your own right. Cool. So, um, and your mother and I, by the way, um, while we were while we were delegates um, at the last convention, um, we will be voting on the delegates for for this coming convention, and, and that will be a an exciting element. I think we're both looking forward to. That'll be cool. Neither of you want to go to this convention, or can you? Can you be delegates to your two elections in a row? Oh, we, we could have thrown our, our, our names in, in, in the hat. I, I don't know if your mother has or not. I'm um, pretty sure she hasn't. It's, um, it's, it's Tampa. <laughs> Tampa in, in August really wasn't. Yeah, it's like, really? On the that's top of my that's list, where you're choosing? Why not come to Montana? It'll be beautiful <laughs> here. Well, unless it's on fire. <clears throat> so uh, the Republican convention is this week. You've got obviously big stuff to do in August, taking July to just enjoy the fourth and maybe do some boating. Mm, I'm taking my children to Fairmont Hot Springs. Nice. My my grandchildren. They they try to I, they try to come back to uh, to Montana every year and and um, um, we have some some friends with a lake house. We'll probably probably visit them and and uh, I, we arranged the visit this time so the children will be here um, for at least a couple of nights of the uh, Lewis and Clark County Fair. Nice. County fairs are really big. They were when when um, when I was a, a child. Of course, we have Calgary Stampede, which is a little bit bigger than a county fair. Um, <laughs> but Haver um, certainly had a, a, a great county fair, and, and uh, one of the girls was in 4-H, and county fairs just have, they're, they're just... So chock full of Americana and... And we have that new wonderful building out of the fairgrounds. It's we do. It's pretty impressive. We do. Um, so they're, last year they weren't here for the fair, but this year we made sure that, that they, would be, uh, they would be in town, at least part of the fair. And talking to my nine-year-old grandson the other day, he is very excited about coming back to, to Helena and going to the Lewis and Clark County Fair. So Very cool. That'll be... A, a big, a big event this year. Very cool. Anything else you want to discuss? Not that I can think of, Kevin. 
Very good. Well, thank you for being on the show. I know that you were very reluctant to do it because you're like, it'll be boring. I don't think you were boring at all. I think it's very interesting. And um, Well, you're sweet to say that. And, uh, you know, the more people that get involved in politics and understand that it's not a contact sport, <laughs> I think the better. So. Well, you know, I, I think unfortunately it has, it in, in some in some areas, has become a contact sport. Um Oh, I forgot to. I have my thing. No, right. no one, no one more than I enjoys um, listening to um, um, opposing candidates talk about issues. Um, it's it's when it's when they start getting personal that that I find that that really disturbing. Unfortunately, that's not a new thing that's been going on since um, since campaigns first started. Um, I'm pretty sure that's been going on since the Roman Senate. <laughs> So <laughs> probably has I, I I have I have read a little bit about um, about early campaigns in in uh, in in our country and um, really some of the things that they said about one another in those days um, would would rival some of the things that are said in in, in current day politics um, it would it would be good I think for candidates to remember that. While the pundits seem to think that negative campaigning works, um, those of us who are amongst the governed would really like to hear more about ideas, more about how we can um, have a substantive change to better lives of, of uh, um, our families and, and um, our fellow citizens. Yeah, don't tell us what's wrong. Tell us how you'll fix it. That's exactly right, and do it in a respectful manner. Yeah. Uh, that gains that, that gains a lot of points with me anyway. I think so too. So um, I did have this idea, uh, which I'm hoping to get introduced to the beginning of the next legislature because I think it would be something that would actually help them to build the interpersonal relationships with both in the various legislative bodies and also across the aisle between the parties, which is I think we need to get rid of daylight savings time. Really? Yes. I think Montana can get rid of it the same way Arizona did 50 years ago. And be fine with it, and um, we wouldn't have those two weeks a year when none of us can remember what time it is, and we're always late to meetings or early to meetings, and everything's a mess, and productivity is down. It affects our business, it affects our well being. Um, although the fall is lovely, I love getting an extra hour to sleep in on a random Monday. Uh, spring is really ridiculous, and I hate it. And in thinking about it, I'm like, well, if we went, if we had stayed on the regular time, you know, we'd be an hour ahead right now, so we'd have. Um, you know, we're coming up with the longest day of the year and it's generally in Helena, it's light out until about 10.30, you know. So it would be light out until 9.30 if we had stayed on the old time zone. I'm okay with that. The town closes at 10 anyway. <laughs> so we practically roll up the sidewalks by that. And any place that is open later than 10.30, later than 10 o'clock really in this town is generally open until 2. So... You know, having it dark an hour earlier doesn't affect anything. Doesn't affect anything in the town. Really, wouldn't affect anything even in Billings. Well, it it, it there's there's one there's one age group that it would affect that one, and and that's um, uh, that's the littlest among us. I can remember daylight saving time as a child, and 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 it was an extra hour of playing outside, particularly when it's nice out. Um, I but, like but, I like. But did you time. let did you let your kids stay out till ten? Absolutely. Oh, 
See, and I see. I remember being a kid and being told I had to be in at nine, and it was still light out, and that made me cranky. Well, that's because we couldn't trust you out after nine. But well, you probably still can't. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we've we've gone away. We're no longer an agrarian society, even though you know, obviously, agriculture is still huge in Montana. It doesn't determine how our society works anymore. It's not a driving force behind it. And even the parts of our society that are bound to the actual cycles of the sun, they're bound to it regardless of what the clock says, anyway. Well, I understand that, but but those, um, you know, we, we, we have such such a limited time um, in this climate that that we can enjoy our evenings and and summertime is short enough. Um, with that extra hour, people go biking, they go walking, children play outside. But it's not an extra hour. It is an extra hour. Do no, like only okay. I, and this is a great saying, and I, I think the first time I heard it was actually from. Uh, Senator Windy Boy last year during when daylight savings time was about to hit, and he was like, "Only, only the government would think you could cut a foot off the top of a blanket, so <laughs> to the bottom of the blanket, and have a longer blanket." So you know, it, it doesn't. If you really want to enjoy more time in the daylight, get up earlier. And I, I'm a night owl. I'd prefer it to be dark. You know, so the summer has always kind of been that weird. You know, I love being up all the time, but it's not getting dark early enough. I'm going to be up until five. You know, and then the sun's up again. I'm like, ah. So um, I just, I honestly think that this is one thing that most people can get behind because daylight savings time is kind of an antiquated idea. Um, they haven't had it in Arizona forever, and it works just fine there. And I remember the five years that I was living there, the fact that I didn't have to go through time changes, so much easier to deal with. Yeah. And because we'd be on the same time zone as Arizona, there's no extra work to do on computers or anything. We just switch our time zone instead of being on mountain whatever. Who, who is it, Arizona. Kevin, that you're going to get behind this idea? Uh, everybody. I'm going to try to convince everyone. And, you know, the, I've actually talked to... Well, here you are to, just, just throwing out this idea, and, and the first person you tell is against it. Well, but you're against... When was the last time that you were out at 1030, walking around your neighborhood? Mm, um, tomorrow. No, that doesn't get... You can't plan ahead to destroy my evidence. Oh, that's late. Love it. Um, no, and there will be there will be pushback from people because there's a lot of pushback from change, but I honestly think that this is something that... And even if it's not successful, it's one of those things that this... It's absolutely not a partisan discussion. And so it allows... You know, this is part of my... I think the last legislature was such a mess that if we do this right, it gives the next legislature a chance, a better chance of working together. Because it's not a political issue. It's simply a social issue. And it's a social construct that some people are going to disagree with and some people are going to agree with. And no matter whether it's successful or not, they'll have to communicate across those aisles because it doesn't exist as a party platform. It's it's a completely separate from the party's topic. And it... it even if it's not successful, I think it would be successful in its in its ulterior goal of establishing lines of communications across the aisle. So you think that every legislative session ought to have at least one daylight saving time like something issue? that something that is completely out of the realm of politics, even though it's a law. You know, and there's very few of those issues that really exist. And this is you know, it's a prime time for one of them. I know it's coming up in um, Idaho's looking at it. Um, Washington was going to be looking at it, but I don't think they are anymore. California is looking at it because it affects the productivity of major industries, you know, and, and people think that that, you know, it's a one hour shift twice a year, no big deal, but it takes a whole week for humanity to get on their new time schedule. And that week is completely disrupted. And they did a study in, I think it was, I'll have to look it up. I, I want to say late eighties, but it could have been in the nineties or two thousands. I honestly don't remember. But, um, 
about how much that product productivity cost us, and it's billions of dollars nationwide. Well, then that's for their daylight saving time. 12 months of the year. Yeah, well, whichever time zone you pick, that's great. You just pick one. And I would actually, I would agree with that. The only reason that I think it'd be easier to go the other way is because Arizona's already on the other time zone. Um, they're right now with the West Coast. Um, and so that's already built into computers and most clocks, so you just tell it that we're in Arizona and the clocks would all work. There wouldn't be any extra work for Apple or Microsoft or update patches that would have to happen. Um, but that being said... I would prefer to stay on this time because I'm not one of these people that wakes up in the winter and thinks it has to be light out because it's morning, it's miserable, it might as well be dark. So <laughs> that's where I am on that one. So I'm perfectly okay with it. And I do love it that it's, I do love that we have these long summer days that go completely into the evening and it's just, it's a fantastic state to be in for that. So do you, but, th so do you think the, 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 the partisan issues that, that surface um, that create the most dissension um, you don't think that those are in in the in the minority um, in terms of issues? Oh no, no. I think I think that the partisan issues are because what happens. Well, there's two reasons that it happens, but one of the big reasons that happens is because nobody's established the, the lines of communication to begin with, so they don't see it coming. By the time it shows up, they're wondering what people were thinking, and then. They have to defend a position that they may not have thought out yet, and it puts them in a position to say something that's stupid, upset somebody else, and then it becomes a, a shouting match. So it really quickly snowballs into something that it was never intended to be. Um, with an issue like this that really... I don't know how you would make this one political. Well, I don't think you... I, I, I don't... I, yeah, I, think that's that, what, I think that that would be a, a, you know, a, that's a difficult a, thing to do. My point is, I, I think the inherent... Um, um, content of most legislation is not necessarily partisan. I well, think it's the issues that I, you read about in the paper, the ones that, that, right. that are obviously going to be partisan from the beginning. And I don't think the intent behind most legislation is partisan, but I do think some of the implementation that happens is. Hmm. I honestly don't think the at-level thing was particularly partisan. It became partisan because of how it was presented. It became hugely partisan because of how it was presented. And um, well, I personally don't agree with it, but that's because I've seen how those sticks are thrown. I'm like, that's not a nice way to die for that animal. Just, it's just not. If you want to use them in a sport, use them in a competition where you use targets. Don't mm -hmm. actually kill an animal. You know, and show off your skill with it. That's great. I'm glad you have a skill. But the what they were trying to do with that law, I think, you know, it went into this whole, well, I am the, it played into our mountain man mystique in a way that I, I think just doesn't work. It, it, it set everybody who doesn't fit that ideal, me included, um, it set us up to be, well, why am I, why do I have anything to do with this? One, I had no idea that atlatls were illegal. <laughs> it, it had never crossed my mind to go pick up a stick and throw it at the city deer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that being said, I was like, oh. But then, you know, you think about it and you look and you see how these animals are dying after getting hit by one. You're like, yeah, I can totally understand why this is illegal because it's inhumane. And... While I think that everybody should be allowed to go hunting, and I think that everybody in the state, if you're going to own a gun, should have to go through hunter safety and gun safety so that they know how to use it. That doesn't mean that I have to use it. But, you know, we have the tools to be humane in our killing. You know, what an odd sentence that is to say, but it's true. You know, if you're going to eat meat, and some meat is quite delicious, <laughs> um, do it the right way. Don't disrespect the animal that you're eating. Well, that's, 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 that's why we have... Um... <clears throat> have laws that govern packing plants and right exactly and and so I it, you know it became 
very political very quickly because of how it was presented. I don't think it was it was I don't think it was well thought out. I don't think anybody had thought to bring it to the other side and said, "Hey, is this something that's going to be a worthwhile bill? Can we get some support from somebody over there or is this just going to be an argument?" Because if they knew straight up that it was just going to be an argument that it was just going to create angst for the minority and going to create a headache for the majority, I don't think they would have done it. But they didn't even have the the lines of communication to go over and talk about those basic things. And without those, the legislature becomes this boiling body of hate, angst, and. Well, I, th- I think you're. I think you're right about um, about the politicization of of um, of some of some issues. I guess watching watching House, particularly House floor sessions last time, um, it seemed to me that. Um, that off the dime, um, one side or the other was was approaching immediately an, an issue in a partisan manner. In 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 prior sessions, um, I don't think it's been quite so pronounced. So, I think communication probably is a is an area that that perhaps they could start working on. Um, and they'd be more productive. I, I, I hope so. I really do. I don't want to go through another session like the last one. I mean, and I was just a citizen. It's, it's, I'm not elected. I'm not a lobbyist. I went up there to testify on a couple of beers, uh, beers, a couple of bills that um, directly affect me and that I feel passionately about. Uh, but I was not in the heart of the session, and it was miserable for me. I can't even imagine being one of the elected officials on either side. You know, I, I look at... You know, people that I that I absolutely disagree with on just about everything. James Knox, Alan Hale. And I, I, I wouldn't even want to be them. Well, for many reasons. But I wouldn't even want to have been in their shoes, even if I had their beliefs, because it was miserable for them, even though, you know, they, they stuck to their guns. You know, God love them. But uh, I can't even imagine being the the focus of that much vitriol from even my own team. You know, and... and there, there seemed to be a lot of uh, bus tossing and uh, dismissiveness on both sides, both to the other side and to their own side. There was a lot of it. And it's just, it's not what we need. It's, it's not where we want to be as adults. It's not what we want to show off as Montanans. It's not what we want uh, to do as a legislature. And it's not what we elect them to do. So hopefully we can avoid that. So that's, you know, I've, I've racked my brain a little bit to come up with, you know, one thing that we could do that even if it doesn't succeed won't cause that sort of angst. And I think I found one, but I could be completely wrong. Somebody could surprise me. <laughs> well, and then you'll then you'll have uh, farmer farmers and ranchers don't like daylight saving time, do they? Generally speaking, not that I've I've talked to several of them, and most of them don't because it just affects their ability to schedule meetings outside of when they need to work. You know, and they're well, the cow doesn't work, know the cow doesn't know what time it is. Yeah, the cow's not wearing a clock, wearing a watch. Um, and so they are on their own time, and as that time shifts with the changing of the seasons, the farmers have to do their subtle shifts with it. Farmers and ranchers have to do their subtle shuttle. I'm going to try that line again. Subtle shifts with the course of the animals or the plants. And, you know, when planting season comes about, they have really long days to take care of plowing and planting and fertilizing and all those sorts of things. And it has nothing to do with the clock. It has everything to do with how much rain has fallen and how much sun we've gotten. And... I don't know that it helps them one way or the other because the sun is still going to shine for the same number of hours in the day. We're just going to call it a different number. So I don't think it gains them anything one way or the other, but I know that switching the times and then having to deal with what time is it because your body is now going through this weird clock change that isn't normal for it. 
it, it, I, I know it has to cause them some, you know, and, and it may just be minor things. They may miss one meeting. They may miss a call, but they could miss a call to the bank. They could miss a call from MF Global before they steal $20 billion. <laughs> you never know. And it, it's that sort of stuff that just, you know, obviously the, that example is out of line. But <laughs> Well, I'll be lobbying the other side, Kevin, but um, I wish you great success. With will you actually be lobbying or will you just roll your eyes at me and walk away? No, I don't think so. I think, or, or do you want us to stay on daylight time so I'd, we have I'd, the I would, um, I want us to be on daylight saving time at least during the summer. So I think we could stay on it full year and be fine. That would be fine. And so see, I even win with that one. <laughs> Good luck next session. At least, at least if you've got both sides talking to one another, that'll be a that'll be some it, That's and that's the win that you really want anyway. So, well, thank you for being on the show. And thanks uh, for having me. Anybody who is, wants to get a hold of you, you're on the commission. I'll put a link to that. That'd be great. Um, if they want to see the maps, I'll put links up to those. If you're looking for the show notes, they are at politicticboom.com. Look for the episode with Miss Linda Boy. And um, go ahead and listen to us in iTunes. If you get a chance, please rate the show. That does help us. Um, so far, so few people have rated it. We haven't shown up in anything, but it's a local show, so that's kind of understandable. Um, rate the show. Talk about it on Facebook, talk about it on Twitter, um, and do all those wonderful things because I really do enjoy the show and I hope you do too. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Kev. And thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good day.